Okay, today in part five for your notes, I want to talk to you about give for eternity. Give for eternity. Okay, have you ever had the thought, and I know you have because you're a lot like me, if grace is free and salvation is free and it's not based on what I do, but it's based on what Jesus did and I'm going to heaven because I believe in him, then why don't I just live however I want to when I'm on earth? How about I just sleep with anybody I want to and spend my money any way I want to and treat people any way I want to? Because after all, I'm going to heaven based on Jesus, not based on me. If you've ever had that thought, maybe once or twice, I can understand it. And if you have that thought continuously, you're probably not saved. Because saved people, God changes their heart to want to serve him and want to do good things on earth. But I'm sure we've all had the thought, you know what, I'm just going to live like the devil. And then when I get old, like Bob, I'm going to repent for everything that God's, you know, that I've done wrong and say, Lord, forgive me for all the things I've done. And then when I go to heaven, it's going to be fine. Okay, here's why that thought doesn't line up with the Bible. It matters how you live on earth. Yes, your destination is determined by what you believe but your destiny is determined by how you spent your life on earth. You're going to heaven or hell based on if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or not. But what heaven is like for you is based on how you lived on earth. And if you're unsaved, I'm going to show you what hell is like for you is based on how you lived on earth. And I'm going to teach you today that the greatest rewards you'll ever get in heaven are based on you giving to God's kingdom on planet earth. Okay, so before we get into our three points, I want to read you a parable and give you an analogy. Um, there are so many parables Jesus told that have to do with heaven, but you don't really catch it unless you're heaven-minded. A lot of times we're just thinking about now, now, now when we read the Bible. A lot about heaven. One of my favorites is in Matthew 25. This king gives three guys a bunch of money. Now, in one translation, it uses the word talents, and that's a type of money. But if you wanted to, you could use that as what we call talents and gifts and things like that. Another translation, he talks about bags of gold, which I'm going to read in the NIV. So three guys are given money from God. Everybody with me? The king gives three dudes some money. That's the parable. It says in Matthew 25, 15, to one he gave five bags, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to... To his ability. In other words, the king did it based on what he knew potential was inside of them. We all don't have the same potential, by the way. We, don't, we haven't been given the same IQ. Not everyone in this room has the same IQ. We haven't been given the same parents. Have you ever thought, man, if I had their parents, I'd be able to accomplish so much more in life. But, man, I had these parents. They didn't treat me right. Have you ever thought, well, if I had their skin color or nationality or if I were born in America... You know, then I could have done more, but I wasn't born in America. Whatever. Okay, it's not important what God gave you. What's important is what are you doing with what God gave you? You can spend your whole life pointing at everybody else. Well, they have more than me. They've got five bags. I only have two bags. They can sing so much better than me. I can't sing at all. They can do this. and I, It's not important you comparing yourself to somebody else. What's important is how are you handling the little that God has entrusted to you? So two of these three guys, two of these three guys took that money the king gave them and they did what pleased the king. They invested it. They were productive. They gave it to the kingdom. All through the Bible, you see the parables in the New Testament all about building the kingdom. And that's what pleases God is building his kingdom. So they did what pleased the king. Here's what the king said to them in Matthew 25, 23. He said it to just two of them out of the three. Well done, excellent servant, because you have been faithful with little. Now, here's the reward. It's not an earthly reward. This reward is a heavenly reward. I will put you in charge of many cities 
in my kingdom. I want you to know that in heaven, there's galaxies, terrain, and planets, and cities, and all kinds of places, and God needs to fill positions in heaven. We're all not going to be at the same position when we get to heaven. There's different things. Some of you might be the janitor. Some of you might be the governor over different cities based on how you live on earth. I also want you to see this. If God were a socialistic God, they would have all gotten five bags. If God were a socialist, they all get five bags beforehand. And no matter what they did, they get five bags afterwards. But the capitalistic God we serve has incentives. He says, if you handle what I've given you the right way, you will get rewards. Good things will come your way. That didn't go over well with all of you. That's okay. You still love me. We're in church. You can't leave now or we'll know who you are. Okay, so there was a third guy. The third guy in verse 25 said this, I buried what you gave me. In other words, I held on to it. I didn't waste it. I didn't spend it frivolously. I didn't even lose it. I maintained what it is you entrusted to me. In verse 26, the king said, you're wicked and lazy. It's amazing to me that God says wicked and lazy people are those who just keep what they have, maintain and do the same thing day in and day out. The, he said, you're wicked and lazy. And then he said this to him, you're not even saved. Because saved people take what I've given them and they build my kingdom. Unsaved people, he said this, you're going to hell, man. That's what the outer darkness represents is hell here. Here's the point I'm trying to teach you. My heavenly harvest is based on my earthly seeds. If you thought you could live how, did you really think, did you really think when you get to heaven, you get any house you want? Did you really think that? Did you really think that your house would be in any part of the city, the main city of heaven that you want? Did you really think you were going to get to do whatever you wanted to do when you get to heaven? No. Oh, bless your heart, you sellers. Bless your hearts. No, that is not how it works, my friend. And it's sad if you're, if you're married to somebody that you really love and they don't serve God. It's going to be sad when one of you has a mansion in the city of heaven and the other one gets a tent over on Mars or somewhere, you know. It's going to be really sad because how you live on earth determines what heaven is going to be like for you. Read, I, I literally, I literally wrote a book on it that's in Barnes and Nobles on this subject. I'm telling you, all through the Bible, how you live on earth affects your heaven. Now, I wanted to give you a little, a little physical analogy for you to see something and think about something as we go through the sermon. So, this orange yarn here, um, I want this yarn to represent, and I didn't really think this through, so if it doesn't work, we'll see. But anyway, this yarn represents... And I chose orange because it's the best color. Um, this yarn represents the past 6,000 years, okay? Up on the screen, I wanted to kind of put some points of reference in there for you so you see what's going on. So I want you to imagine over here at the very beginning, this is Adam and Eve, okay? This is 6,000 6, years ago, 4,000 B.C. Okay, 4,000 B.C. over there, Adam and Eve. And then you have Noah, which is 3,000 B.C. And I realize that I'm rounding these numbers so don't write me an email. I realize Noah's more 2,700. But anyway, 3,000 B.C. The next 1,000 years, you have Abraham in 2,000 B.C. Now, just for those of you that love the Bible, um, I just want you to that the book of Genesis is the first 2,000 years. And then from Exodus to Malachi is the next 2,000 years. So when you're reading the Old Testament, the first book of the Bible is the first 2,000 years. And all the other books of the Old Testament are the next 2,000 years. Just to kind of give you something in mind. Okay, so Moses is 1,500 B.C. And then we have David is 1,000 B.C., of course, and Queen Esther is 500 B.C. And then, of course, you have Jesus, 
and I didn't have enough clothespins. That was my fault. You got Jesus. And then just to give you kind of point of reference, about a thousand years ago, 900 years ago, was King Richard the Lionheart, if you know what's going on in the world, you know. And then 500 years ago was Christopher Columbus. discovered. It's interesting. When you travel through America and you go to Disney World or New York or California, everything you see was done in the past 500 years. That's, that amazes me, right? I mean, every bit of infrastructure, all the sewer plants, all the, you know, the pipes underground and electricity, all the buildings, that was all done in just the past 500 years. That blows my mind, right? Okay, so this is the past 6,000 years. I kind of want you to see 6,000 years. You good with this? Now, I want you to pretend that you are alive way back over there when Adam and Eve's grandchildren were around. Okay, 6,000 years ago, that's where you're at. And God comes to you 6,000 years ago and he says this to you. You know what? I'm going to allow you to live on earth for the next 6,000 years. And you're going to get to go through the time of the flood. No one, the flood. You're going to get to go through the start of Israel. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob becoming Israel. You're going to get to see all these events and David and Goliath. And you're going to get to be there when they invent the wheel. And you're going to get to see, you know, the, the, the Roman Empire rise and fall and the Persian Empire. And you're going to be around for 6,000 years. God says this to you on earth. And then he tells you, but how you live your life today. It'll be Sunday. He's meeting you on a Sunday. How you live on Sunday, this next 24 hours, is going to determine what your life is going to be like for the first thousand years on earth. And then how you live on Monday is going to determine what your life is going to be like for the next thousand years on earth. And then how you live on Tuesday is going to determine. And see, if you live for Jesus and you serve and you give and you forgive when people offend you and you deal with things properly, then that thousand years, if you do that just here in that one day, the next thousand years, you're going to have an incredible mansion. You're going to have a really great job. You're going to have really great friends. You're going to live wherever you want to. But if you don't, if, you're, if you get offended easy and you're mean to people and you're not a giver and you're selfish, well, the, that thousand years isn't going to be good. And on and on. And so for six days, every day equals a thousand years. Now, if that were the case, would you throw those days to chance? And would you just live however you want to and look at whatever you want to and treat people however you want to? Or would you be very purposeful with how you lived each one of those days if each day counted for a thousand years? You'd be very purposeful, right? You'd be very wise with your decisions. Okay. Now, instead of this timeline being 6,000 years, I want this timeline to represent your life on earth. Okay. The beginning is the day you were born. Whatever it was, 40 years ago, 30 years, however old you are, for Bob, 120 years ago, whenever you were born, in the 1800s, and, and God says to you this. Now, if this is your life on earth, okay, this is, your, this is your life on earth, and this is you living, if you're 85 years old or 90 years old, however long you think you're going to live on earth, that's what this timeline represents, then this very first little clothespin here, up top, This is your life on earth and how you live this life, how you live this life, um, it's going to affect all of eternity, all of eternity. Okay. Now, let's say that this line goes on from the day you were born and it keeps on going forever and ever and ever and ever. Right. Forever. Because that's what eternity is. Right. For it just keeps on going. You got billions and billions and billions of centuries and it's just going and going and going. And this is, this, is, this, is, this is everything. This is everything. Now, if this is your life from the day you're born until heaven and beyond and beyond and beyond, it never stops. Then how you live 
in this one little speck right here is going to determine forever for you. Because if this is the timeline from your birth all the way to eternity and on and on it goes, then your life on earth is really, this is your life on earth right here. James calls it a vapor in the wind that appears for a moment and disappears. So how you live in this speck right here, how you live in this speck, and you only get one chance, how you live in the speck determines what you get for the next billion centuries. Do you realize mathematically that is more than what I said to you earlier about one day equaling a thousand years? That one speck determines everything. The point is this. You can spend your life any way you want to, but you can only spend it once. You only get one chance to spend this little speck right here. And what you do here matters forever and forever and forever. So I have three points for you for your notes today. Point number one is this. Eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. Um, it says in Hebrews 6, 1 through 2, let us get past the elementary stage and the teachings about Christ. And then it lists some elementary teachings, and one of them is called eternal judgment. I'm going to tell you what that means in a second. It says these are important matters in which you should have been proficient long ago. Okay, so the Bible's saying this. If you can learn the elementary teachings, then you'll do much better as you grow as a believer. And a lot of believers aren't doing well in life because they don't understand the elementary things about Jesus. And one of the elementary teachings about Jesus is eternal judgment. What that means is we have to have an eternal perspective. When you have an 85-year perspective, then your whole mindset is about retirement and health insurance and paying off your house by the time you're 60. But when you have an eternal perspective, you endure things you wouldn't normally be able to endure because you realize there's more than just this life. When you have an eternal perspective and somebody offends you, it's not that big of a deal. When you have an eternal perspective, you're more focused on what I'm doing for the next life, not what I'm doing for retirement in this life. Um, whenever you were in high school, you had a four-year perspective. If y'all can remember high school, what it was like, I know for some of y'all it was a long time ago, but high school, if you remember, every day was like the whole world, everything, you know, all you thought about was the four years. If somebody broke your heart or didn't go out with you or broke up with you, you know, when you're in high school, the whole world was going to end. That was everything. When you were in high school, um, if you had the flu and a stomach bug and you're sick as a dog, but you woke up and you're having a good hair day and there's no acne on your face and you got a new outfit, you're going to school and you're happy about it, right? But if you're in high school and you wake up one day and you can be healthy as a horse, but you start breaking out on your face and you're having a bad hair day, you will fake the flu so well you deserve an Academy Award because you're just, you know, because you're, okay, what if we had that same passion for eternity that we did for high school? <laughs> what if we had the same outlook for what am I doing now that's going to last past this life? Hebrews 9.27 says this, Everyone has to die once and after that be judged by God. And this is talking about the judgment of works. Because I want you to know whether or not you go to heaven or hell is not determined after you die. A lot of people think, well, after I die, then God tells me if I'm going to heaven or hell. God does not determine who goes to heaven or hell. You do. God does not decide if you go to heaven or hell. You get to decide that. And you don't decide it after you die. You decide it while you're on earth. You get one chance on earth to decide if you want Jesus in your life or not. After that, you're judged by your works in hell or heaven. The minute you die, you're either in heaven or hell. The minute, the second you die. And when you die, whether you're in heaven or hell, God is there with you and he goes over your life on earth to see what hell or heaven is going to be like for you. But you only get one chance. Your belief determines where you go for eternity. 
Your behavior determines how you spend eternity. We're all on the same page. And you know, I've done a lot of research and I've studied a lot and all statistics show that the death rate is at 100% right now. So everybody's gonna die at some point. Every single one of you have to die one time. You know, there are, there are idiots around the world that will blow themselves up and kill other people because they believe their afterlife has 72 versions for them, okay? I think that's the easy way out. I think if Jesus said, if you love me, kill yourself, I think that'd be easy. He doesn't say that. He says, if you love me, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me every single day. That can be tough. It'd be a lot easier to die for him than it would be to live for him. But I'm telling you, how you live matters. How you, we have to teach our children too. How we, just because we're saved doesn't mean we can do whatever we want to do. It matters how we spend our life. Okay, point number two for your notes is this. Eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. Matthew 16, 27. I am coming soon. I will bring my rewards with me to give to each one according to what he has done. I want you to see that each one is individual. It's not like everybody that dies today. God says, okay, all of y'all that are Christians did good. Come on into heaven. No, it's an individual award, reward for everything you did on earth. Um, maybe you've had the thought before, you know what? Just get me to heaven. I don't care what I get when I get there. As long as I get to heaven, I'll be okay. Okay, let me tell you why that's a selfish way to think. God has things he needs you and wants you to do on earth that matter to him while you're living your life. Um, my grandparents on my dad's side were millionaires, but they lived like they were incredibly poor. They wore the same outfit every single day. My grandma had holes in her shoes, holes in her socks with a million dollars in the bank and would not, that's probably why she had a million dollars in the bank, honestly, but she wouldn't buy any shoes. My nana and papa on my mom's side of the family, they were very, very poor, but they looked like they were worth a million dollars. You know, my nana had one set of pearls and she wore it all the time and hair's always fixed to do. When my mom tells the story about when she was a little girl, she had um, her sister and her brother, she was the youngest, and you know, Christmas came around and, and they wake up on Christmas morning to see what they got. And my mom told how, because they were very poor, uh, one Christmas, and she was so excited to get this, but one Christmas, she opened up her present, and she was able to have, they gave her, her own basket of fruit. And that was her Christmas present. She had her own orange, her own apple, her own banana. She didn't have to share it with her brother or sister. It was all hers. She was extremely grateful for her basket of fruit, but she knew that her friends got bicycles and toys and new clothes. And then she goes to school and everybody's talking about what they got for Christmas. And all she got was a basket of fruit. She was grateful, but she knew there was a lot more out there she could have had if she could have afforded it. I'm sad to say a lot of Christians are going to get to heaven and they're going to be given a basket of fruit. <laughs> uh, an apple and orange. Here's, here's what your whole life accomplished. Everything you did on earth. Here's what your reward is going to be. And it's going to be sad when we see people that were in third world nations. That were doing more for the kingdom of God than we were in America. And they're living in a mansion in heaven. And they have a great position in heaven. And here we are mopping up the floors for them for all of eternity. Because we were given so much yet we did so little. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I just want you to see, it says all. 
So this is every, and I want you to see this too. This scripture was written to members of churches, not people that sit at home and watch Stephen Furtick in their underwear and T.D. Jakes. No, that's not what, this was written to people who had deep relationships with their church family, who shared in their, in their joyous times, who helped during the sorrowful times, who, who dealt with sin in the church and helped restore people who had fallen, who gave and helped build their church community. This was written to members of churches. So if you think you're getting some, a bunch of rewards in heaven and you're not even a member of a church, two-thirds of the New Testament was written to members of churches. I just want you to see that, okay? We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is the believer's judgment of works. So that each one may receive his reward according to what he has done in his bodily life, both good or evil. Now, you won't be punished for your evil, but God's going to bring it all up. Everything that you spent your life doing, considering your purpose and motive, what he has achieved, been busy with, and given himself and his attention to accomplishing. I want you to know, at this church, we're setting you up for eternal rewards. Every time you give, there's a heavenly harvest. Every time you serve, heavenly harvest. Every time you forgive, heavenly harvest. So how do we lose rewards? Did you know that you can do the right thing but have the wrong motive and get no reward? Um, about 10 years ago, I was, I was uh, pastoring a little storefront church down Forest Road. And there was this lady that was in charge of the drama team. She had developed all these dramas and she had gotten people in the church to be a part of it. And she would sew outfits together and write all these plays and, and spend hours and hours practicing with everybody. And, um, and one Sunday, it was like it was three days before Easter Sunday. And if there's ever a time you, you better not call me or tell me any problems or anything, it's the week before Easter Sunday. That is the most stressful week for every pastor on planet Earth. Is it, Don't take my blood pressure on Easter Sunday because it, it, won't, it won't look good. So she calls me three days before and says, listen, we put together a drama that we're going to do on Easter Sunday. And I said, okay. I said, well, I've already kind of worked out the service, but I think that's fine. Is it like a two or three minute drama? She said, oh, no, it's a 30 minute drama and you're not going to preach. And, I, and it's my church and I'm very insane. I was like, well, can I please preach in my church? You know. I said, um, I said, oh, I said, well, I've already written the sermon. And I said, how about you do it next Sunday? Or we'll have a special Sunday night service and you can do the 30-minute drama. And she said this, if you don't let me do my 30-minute drama on Easter Sunday, I'm taking all these people and we're going to another church. And I said, don't let the doorknob hit you where the good Lord split you. And uh, here's the point is this. All the work she did, all the time and effort she put into it, she gets no reward because her motive wasn't to do what was best for the church. The motive was to do what she wanted to do, what was best for her. Do you know there are so many times that we can serve and give and do all these good works, but if we're doing it because we want to be seen or we're doing it because we want to you know, feel good about ourselves or we're doing it because we want to just be in charge of people, whatever the wrong motive is, no reward. No reward comes from that. Um, the word judgment inside this, in the scripture, comes from a Greek word, krima, and it means this, a final decision with no revisions or changes resulting from an investigation. Um, the day you die, you'll either be in heaven or hell immediately, and then you have your judgment of works, and that will be the greatest day and the worst day of your life. It'll be the greatest day if you're saved, it might be the worst day because God is going to investigate your entire life. And the Bible actually says every word that we speak, every single word we say 
is going to be brought up every word. And I think that also includes what you post on Facebook. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I'd be careful just in case. And so he investigates our entire life. And here's what I want you to see from this. What he decides that day is decided for eternity. In other words, you don't get to heaven and then work your way up. You don't get to heaven and then he says, you know what? Now that you've been faithful for the past 2,000 years, I'm going to give you a different position. No, no. Whatever you get on day one is what you get forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, I think that a lot of us are going to think things like, you know what? I wish I'd been bolder with my faith. I wish I had brought more people to Jesus. I wish I'd been a bigger giver. I wish I hadn't been so selfish in life. I wish I had forgiven that person that, that did me wrong 20 years ago and not held on to that bitterness all those years. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, do not store up riches for yourself on earth. Now, before I go further, I'm going to read this again. And I want everybody that has disobeyed this commandment to raise your hand. Okay. I'm just kidding. Do not raise your hands. Do not. Okay. It says, do not store up riches for your, how many of you don't raise your hand? How many of you have stored up and are continuing to store up riches for yourself on earth? And, it just, and, and in the South, that word do not means don't. Just so you know, okay? In Greek, that means don't. Don't, how many, how many people do we know they spend their whole life storing up rich? You know what they have? They have an 85-year perspective. Everything is based on 85 years. That's the whole perspective. They have no eternal perspective. It says instead, store up treasures for yourselves in heaven. You can actually do things on earth that are storing up. And we learned last week what treasures are. Treasures are people. There are things you can do on earth that will actually get more and more people into heaven. We will be judged based on how much we gave in relation to how much we got. We'll be judged on how much we gave based on how much how much God gave us we're going to be judged on what we did with that you know every old person in this room knows this truth that I'm about to give you and that is this the future always comes you know when you're a certain age you never think about the future honestly when you're in your 20s you never think about the future and then you get in your 40s and you start feeling like you know what the future is going to come and then I bet those of you in here that in your 80s 90s I bet listen the future's right around the corner for every single one of us. Our life is like a vapor that appears and then disappears. Um, when I was a child, my, my number one sport was soccer. And even, I'm 42 now and I still play soccer and I still coach soccer um, every season. I love it, it's just my, it was my game. And when I was 10 or 11, my parents sent me to a, a soccer academy in, um, in Charleston for a week, like a camp. And I, I'd already hit my growth spurts. I was like taller than everybody, you know, that was there. And they put you with all the kids your age. And on day one on Monday, I could tell that, that I was better than every single kid there. I mean, I was doing rainbows and bicycles and, and I, I was very accurate with, with my, my, my kid. I mean, everything was just, and I was not being challenged. So from Tuesday to Friday, I just goofed around. I played tricks on kids. I literally dribbled the ball around them in circles and just kind of, you know, showed off how good I was, but I never assisted anybody. I was scoring every single goal and just taking the ball and being a ball hog. I, I, was, I was, did not have a good attitude. And then Friday comes around and all the parents show up to pick up the kids and they bring us in this great big auditorium. And I thought we were going to get put with our parents and go home. But when we all got in the auditorium, down front there was a table filled with trophies. 
and they began to call out individual names. This kid got the most assists. And this kid had the best, you know, bicycle. And this kid had the, the best scoring and all this. And the whole time, and listen, guess who did not get a trophy? If they had just told me there was going to be awards, I wouldn't have wasted my time. If they had just told me they were going to call out my name in front of everybody. Oh, how I would have treated everyone so differently. How I would have done such a better job during that week. Can I tell you, God's going to call out your name in front of all of heaven and give you what you deserve based on your life on earth. Point number three, last point is this, eternal punishment. Now, this is not for you, I hope, but this is um, unbelievers, judgment of works. And I don't have time to go through the Revelation 20, 11 through 15, but I put it on your handouts. And I, I want you to know that the, the, the Hollywood actor who gives a million dollars to charity, you know, every year, their hell, if they're unsaved, is going to be different from Hitler's. And you'll see that in Revelation 20, 11, 15. But I did want to show you a scripture on hell and how there's different pain in hell uh, from what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty. 20. It says this, Jesus began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. So I want you to say, Jesus is rebuking large groups of people, entire cities. And there's three main cities he's rebuking here. He says, um, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, that's one city. Woe to you, Bethsaida, that's the second one. I assure you on the judgment day of God, it shall be more tolerable. Do you see this? Or less suffering, the Amplified says, for Tyre and Sidon than for you. People of Capernaum, their city three, do you think you will be honored in heaven? You're going down to hell. For if the, now this is one of the greatest theological scriptures, and we're closing with this. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom. Remember Sodom in Genesis? Rapists and murderers. Just remember, rapists, murderers, and incest. Rapists, murderers, and incest. If, if the mighty works that I did in your life were done in Sodom, it would have remained until this. I wouldn't have had to destroy it. But it will be more tolerable for the rapists and the murderers and the incest on the day of judgment than for you. Now, let me tell you what's going on. So there's three cities Jesus is rebuking. I want you to picture the Sea of Galilee is like, a, is like a circle. And if you're looking at me, the northwestern city is Capernaum. The northeastern city is Bethsaida. And then up north is Chorazin. Okay, I want you to see it's like a triangle because theologians call it the evangelical triangle. They call it that because that's where Jesus did most of his mighty works. Supernatural healing, miracles, blessings. And they were in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And Jesus says to them, now I'm going to modernize it. He says to them, you had a church on every corner. You had scripture and truth on your cell phones with the push of a button. You were more blessed than 90% of the world. And you lived that selfish life that you lived? You didn't come to Jesus. You didn't repent after everything I've done for you. Your hell is going to be worse than the murders and the rapists and the incest that were in Sodom. Because of everything I've done in your life and all the little bit you did for me. Now that's for unbelievers, but I think we can take it as well. We will be eternally judged based on what we did in comparison to how much God has blessed us.
If you want to know what your judgment day is going to look like, listen, I've, I've gave you that talent and you didn't use that for me. I gave you that gift and you built your kingdom with it for 85 years and not mine. I let you be born in America. I gave you that good job. I healed your child. I saved you. You have the ability to do so much for me and you wasted your life on earth. What is wrong with you? Do you not see what I've done for you? You know, people look at the Old Testament and they think, well, God was so mean in the Old Testament and he's so much nicer after Jesus in the New Testament. Okay, that's a myth. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want you to know that when it comes to the stuff you see in the Old Testament, like when he opens up the earthquake and sucks his own people down in there and destroys them because they were worshiping gold, or when he doesn't let Moses go into the promised land, or when he, when he, when he, when he destroys fire here and sends lightning here and all these things, when you think that's the wrath of God, he's so angry, I want you to know, in comparison to, to, to the, the supernatural manifestations of God in their life is the rightful expectation of obedience. In other words, based on what God did for them is what he's going to judge how they handled it. If you think about the Old Testament, God, God led them by fire at night and cloud in the day. He rained supernatural plagues on their enemies and protected them. He turned the Nile River into blood and they saw it with their own eyes. When they left Egypt, they had gold around their neck and then they get in the wilderness and God says, give me some money for a church. And they say, no, we love our gold too much. There was no Dick's Pawn Shop. There was no Walmart. What were they going to do with the gold? What were they going to do with it? They couldn't do it. They're in the wilderness. And God said, after everything I've done for you, after I opened up the Red Sea and destroyed Pharaoh right in front of your eyes, you're going to worship your money? After all this, of course he's going to open up the earth and suck them down in an earthquake. What kind of people would see God bless them so much and they do so little for him? Of course the wrath of God's going to be there. It's based on all the blessings they had. I shouldn't have ended on this point because it seemed like a bad point to end on. I'm sorry. What are you doing that will last for all of eternity? What are you doing in your spec that's actually going to last to the, to the, as time goes on? I'll, I'll close with this. Um, you know, I have five kids and I seem to talk about Eli, my middle one, the most. People say that he and I are a lot alike. But um, when he was little, when he went to elementary school, he was incredibly small for his age. I mean, incredibly small. I mean, two feet shorter than every single boy and girl in his entire grade, okay? And about that time, we were at the dining room table one day, I'll never forget, and Eli looks out the window and says, hey, mommy, daddy, look at that duck. And I said, Eli, that's a pile of leaves, buddy. He said, no, it's a duck. I said, no, it's, that's a leaf. We found out he couldn't see. So he starts elementary school, two feet shorter than everybody, and he's got glasses, really thick glasses. And you know, you just worry about your kids. He was so fragile and so little, and we just didn't want him to hurt it. We covered him in prayer on the way to school, and I mean, I'll, I'll pray in tongues. I'd do anything to make sure, you know, just he had, and he was always confident. Eli was never insecure, not an insecure bone in his body. He can stand up before thousands. He can do anything. And so, you know, no kids ever ask him to play because he's so little. So he always had to be the one to, to go and try to make friends. He was the underdog, you know. One day his teacher called us up. She said, um, I want y'all to come to school uh, during lunch. We have something special we want to do. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And so we show up at lunch and all the kids are in the cafeteria. And they called out Eli's name to come up on stage. 
and they gave him an award because on the playground a few days before, a new kid came to school and he was sitting all by himself with no friends. And Eli leaves the friends that he's hanging out with and he goes over to this kid. He says, hey, my name's Eli. What's your name? <laughs> he says, will you come play with me? Will you come be my friend? And the kid's like, yeah, sure. And they all went and they, they played. And they gave Eli an award for being good to somebody in front of the whole class. Okay. I want heaven to be like that for y'all. When I see you there, I want to see your eternal rewards. I want God to call your name and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful with what I gave you. I'm going to make you governor over many cities in my kingdom. That's what I want heaven to be like for us. So that is why we should give for eternity. So.